What's the uh, big occasion? Anything happening today? <laughs> I know the sun came out. It is good to see everybody. I was uh, pretty much surprised by several of you that showed up, but, uh, but it's a pleasant surprise. There hasn't been anyone that came up to me and said, you, you're the one that messed up my whatever. It, it, it hasn't happened. So, so far... It's a good day, okay, and, and hopefully after sharing the word, it'll still be a good day. Uh, we will know that we've been in the house of the Lord because the word of God was shared. Um, I think it was the 10th, may have been the 7th, but in May of 1981, there was a skinny kid that graduated from Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary, and had intended to go to a particular church that folded right before he went. And so now I'm looking around, putting uh, uh, my name in the association and so forth. Uh, got a call to come down to First Baptist Church of Hacienda Heights. Shared a, at a Wednesday night service, then got called back, thank God, uh, to come to a uh, Sunday service to do morning and night preaching to see what would happen. And I remember one of the things that um, that happened was they were pretty concerned about what kind of a guy are they getting and so forth. And we want to make sure he's nothing like the last guy. Well, the, the guy before me pretty much went the same road. We both graduated from uh, California Baptist College. We both had a couple of kids. Uh, we both had gone to seminary. The only difference there is I finished and and so forth but so they uh, one of the questions that was asked because the previous pastor did not disclose it is that he had been married before and so that was one of the questions and i remember standing right here and talking to someone in about that third or fourth row and she asked me have you been married you know um, uh, how many uh, marriages have you had and i said two and my wife's looking at me, and the church is looking at me, and, you know, what's going on? Oh, my God, we're, you know, we're starting all over again. I said, I was married first to Christ, and then I married Don. And if we can keep that at the forefront of our thinking, of our uh, living, our belief system, and so forth, we'll do well. I remember the charge that was given a couple of weeks ago to uh, Brother Jeremy when we went out to fellowship in the past. And the pastor there encouraged him to keep Christ at the forefront. Keep Christ foremost in your life. Keep Christ the purpose for you living and continuing to breathe and have your being on this earth. Otherwise, and by the way, he didn't share that. I'm just adding this part. Otherwise, why not just go home? Why not just go home? What other purpose, if we're not promoting the gospel of Christ, if we're not promoting the church of our Lord, then why are we here? I have a, a few scriptures I want to share. I know uh, Pastor Jeremy kind of limited me to 45, 50 minutes, something like that. I promise not to take more than an hour above that, okay? Uh, you laugh. <laughs> oh, boy. Keep your finger on Hebrews 13. And I want to go to Hebrews 13 and look at that 20th verse. Now, because I have been here, and I started to tell you that story, 
uh, it was either May 10th or May 7th, but in 1981, that was 33 years ago that I graduated from seminary. I can't tell you what I learned. I do remember the experience, and I do now know it with a bittersweet uh, knowledge that they are selling the main campus of Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary. But that's going to benefit Southern California and other areas. They'll still keep a work up there, but it's going to benefit down here. That is the second, well, it's, it's one of the highest revenue areas, one of the highest taxation areas in the United States. And before they selected Golden Gate, they, they selected two spots. The current location for the United Nations in New York, and the other spot was right there in Mill Valley. So they're looking at those two spots, uh, and that's, that's where they ended up. Beautiful, beautiful area. My wife and I were so privileged to have two of our children up there. We were so privileged also, poor as we were, to be able to be recipients of the love and the outpouring of everybody that was in seminary, struggling, starving students, just like, just like us. But it was great, great fellowship. So we were at one of the poorest times in our existence but one of the richest times as far as having love and having, uh, you know, friendship that really meant something. When you know a fellow struggling married man and his wife give you $20, and that was dollars back in 81, $20, that's a lot of money. Uh, and I could go in and tell you some more stories and, and keep this thing going and just tell you stories all day, but I do want to get in to the word. Have I given you enough time to find it? Hebrews 13.20 Hebrews 13.20 says, May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be Glory forever and ever. The Lord Jesus was called the great shepherd here, probably by Paul the Apostle or another author that was uh, very much like him in literary style. But that immediately harkened my mind back to John 10. If you'll remember John 10, that's where the Good Shepherd passage is. This is where the disciple John is giving accolades to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, be, he's penning those words for Jesus. These were the words of Jesus. When you look at uh, John 10.10, 10, it says, you know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and so forth. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And then in the next verse, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life. And so forth. When we get over to the 14th verse of John 10, he says the same thing again. I am the good shepherd. This is what he does for us. This is what pleases the Father, that he was willing to lay down his life for us. Folks, I hope you know that the message hasn't changed through the through, through all these years, it is still Christo-centered, still centered on Christ. 
that message should never deviate, never change. In Acts chapter 20, and by the way, we are coming back to Hebrews. In Acts chapter 20, Paul, and most of this is going to be about Paul today, Paul is giving his farewell address to the Ephesians. And he's talking about what he did with them and how long he was with them and how much he labored with them. But he gives his farewell address to them, having been with them and served with them and so forth. And I want to take three little verses to give you three little points from Acts 20. 19, 20, and 21. In verse 19, he says, I served you with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. In verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. And then in 21, he says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So the three points under Acts 20 are verse 19. He served with humility and tears, humbly as unto the Lord. If there is any resemblance at all, it's no accident. It's only the blessing of God. You know, they used to have these sayings about old churches and, you know, pastors being called to another church and so forth. And it used to be that uh, that the churches felt it was their responsibility to keep you humble uh, or keep you poor. And it's kind of like, you know, Lord, you keep them humble and we'll keep them poor, you know, starving and, and, and so forth. Uh, and that was our lot at the beginning. Don and I, when we came here, we had two kids. Very shortly thereafter, we had a third one. Uh, and when number three is coming along, I'm looking at the church. I called all the elders. And let's see. Let's let's have a little sit down here. See what we can work out. And while we were trying to work out those issues, I said, "Look, we're going in the hole, two to three hundred dollars." And that was in 1981, 1982 dollars. Two to three hundred dollars in the hole every month. We can't keep bearing that load. I need to take care of my family, and I will take care of my family. I'm just, I'm just bringing it to your attention. However, you want me to handle it. If I need to go out and work, I will. If I don't need to, if you want me here in the field full time, I'll do that as well. And we learned to live with hardly anything. Uh, as many of you, especially some of our more tenured uh, individuals on this earth, you know what it's like to scrape by. You know what it's like to get by with not very much. But then, when those who are the overseers keep it back from you, and now it's the fifth day, the seventh day, the ninth day of the month, and you still haven't gotten your, your check... And Don and I tried not to cry. We just tried to trust God. But it's hard. It's hard. Those were well-intentioned individuals that, oh, okay, yeah, you'll, yeah, we'll get your check. Don't worry. Don't worry. And it's not good to make the shepherd beg for his food. It's not bad if you want to be a Paul and work for your food, be a tent maker on the side. That's perfectly okay. One of the things that I committed to Jeremy before 
uh, before we brought him on board is I want to make sure that you do not have to go through what I did. It should be a more well-paved road. I don't want to call myself, uh, you know, like John the Baptist who made all the uh, everything straight and everything is narrow and whatever. Uh, by the way, Jeremy came and, you know, just got all kinds of talent, all kinds of people behind him, all kinds of skills, and he's been able to wield those and use those for good and for the benefit of this church. So God bless him in that ministry. I just want to challenge you to make sure that you also do what's right. So he served with humility and with tears. And in verse 20, he taught with all practicality. He was willing to, to you know, continue to teach and do those things that it says, he says right here, you know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you and taught you publicly. And from house to house, wherever that instruction comes, hopefully you have felt it and it has been genuine and it comes from God's word, which cannot be changed and so forth. And that you've somehow been edified. I remember one of the biggest blessings in my life was many years later listening to uh, some of my kids, you know, responding to me and I'm looking at them. Where did you get that? Dad, you've been preaching to us for whatever. Well, I didn't know you listened. You know, it's like, man. And, and by the way, Don and I are very, very blessed with having, um, having had kids that have given their lives to the Lord. I'm not saying that they did everything perfect. <laughs> I'm not saying the police weren't ever called. I'm not saying, uh, you know, whatever. But And I don't mean myself. Uh, uh, but... Uh, I am saying that we have been blessed. And if we can teach in the midst of that, praise the Lord. And then it says in verse 21 that he proclaimed faithfully. So verse 19, he served with humility and tears. Verse 20, he taught with all practicality for the benefit of the body. And then in verse 21, he proclaimed faithfully that message of repentance. And it didn't matter to who that message went. He, he would give it to everyone, to the Jews as well as the Gentiles. You remember how he said that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, or of Christ Jesus, so forth there in Romans, you know, 1, 16, 17. For is the power of Christ unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's always taking care of the body, always taking care of your family, but don't forget the other people that are around you. Okay. You don't know, but what such a time as this is God has placed you right there. How many of us have not availed ourselves of the opportunity when it's come, when we were standing there and all of a sudden we felt the urge, we should reach out, we should talk, we should share, we should minister, we should give them something, we should offer something. And then, yeah, but what if they think I'm... Don't worry about that. Worry about what God thinks. Worry about what the Lord wants you to do. So Paul, as he gives his farewell address to the Ephesians there, has those three messages. He told them and he reminded them that he served them with humility and tears, and he taught them practically, and he was there faithfully. You know, one of the acronyms that I've used for my ministry is FAT. Not because I am, but because it's a good acronym in... In the Old Testament, fat is good. 
So I'm going to go back to the Old Testament days. Yeah. Yeah. Fat is good, and, and what, but what I mean when I say fat, I'm talking about F being faithful, A being available, and T being teachable. If we can still learn something after all these years, and by the way, it's been my privilege after Pastor Jeremy came, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to him. Thank you. I needed that. That was good. I didn't know I could learn something from a kid, but I did. And by the way, he's older now than I was when I came. If you think about that. Got much more experience. Praise the Lord. I want to take you to another passage. It's going to be in First Thess- uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. So move a little bit further. And again, this is one of those passages from um, the Apostle Paul. Paul is giving some of his final instructions to the Thessalonican church. And in those final instructions, before he leaves, 1 Thessalonians 5.12, he says, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you, and hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn them who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And we've got more to read, but I want to stop there. In 1 Thessalonians 5, in that entire passage, verse 12 through 28, he's basically offering exhortation, but encouragement with that. It's not just... I need you to do that, I need you to do that, and it would be better if you did this and so forth. But he encouraged them as well. So it's not limited to just, you know, exhorting, teaching, admonishing, and, you know, uh, all of that. But it's also encouraging them. And that's one of the things I think that Paul learned from a fellow by the name of Barnabas. Remember him? Barnabas means the encourager. He was encouraged by him, and he was able to offer freely. To others. These final instructions, verses 12 through 15, are primarily for the body of Christ. And yet, as I've divided verses 12 and 13, I made those primarily an exhortation for the congregation. That you would respect those who work hard among you. That you would, uh, uh, you know, be with them and hold them in high regard and love them and live in peace with them and and with the others, get along with one another, all for the benefit of the gospel. In verses 14 and 15, even though it applies to the entire body, I've made that primarily the charge to the elders here, Pastor Jeremy, and anyone else in a leadership position here at First Baptist Church, that you, as supervisors of the body of Christ, that you, as leaders... In the call of God. That you who are mindful that your instruction and your words have meaning and have significance. And you can hurt just as much as you can heal. Verses 14 and 15. And we urge you brothers. Warn them who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. You know, there are sometimes you might see two different people 
they're both just kind of standing there and you said, hey, I want you to, you know, we need to get this done. Do it. And there's other people. Yeah, right. You know, you might have one guy. And the other guy is just. Okay. So what do we do? How do you work with those two different people? This one is probably just shy, just timid, just like a Timothy, or doesn't know what to do. You said clean the room. What does that mean? And by the way, when parents were growing up in my day and time, they said pick up your room. I'm not that strong yet. You know, uh, they don't know. And how do they jump in? Help them. This is how we do it. This is what needs to get done. And this is how we do it. So we need to adapt our teaching and our presentation to whoever is there. And I hope you've seen in me the at least the um, honest desire to actually work with and love and care for everyone. No matter the age, no matter the sex, no matter the mental capacity, no matter whatever. We need to reach the entire body. God, remember, sent his only begotten son to die for who? Just you? Just me? Just the good-looking people? Just the smart people? Just the people with money? All of us. All of us. Praise the Lord. There's so many other exhortations, and it's kind of like boom, 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 boom. Before uh, Paul knew what bullet points were, he was practicing it already. He says in verse 16, be joyful always. Verse 17, pray continually. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. Verse 19, don't quench the spirit. Verse 20, don't treat prophecies with contempt. 21, test everything. Hold on to what's good and, and avoid every kind of evil. Boom, 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 boom. So he's giving them all these charges. And you won't remember them. Just take down this note. To remind yourself to ref- uh, to read it again, First Thessalonians five verses twelve through twenty eight, how Paul tried to exhort and to encourage the church. I'm going to take you the next set of books after First and Second Thessalonians is First and in Second Timothy. So I'm going to take you to Second Timothy. In there, in chapter 4, 2 Timothy, chapter 4, beginning in verses 9 through the end, again, these are his final remarks, so to speak, his personal message to Timothy. So some, you see, some of these words this morning have been to encourage you, the body of Christ. Some have been presented for Pastor Jeremy and the elders of the church here. But this one particularly is Paul's personal message to the younger Timothy. Paul urged Timothy in that first verse there, verse 9, come quickly. Don't hesitate, don't wait. He basically said, Luke's with me, but he also mentioned that others were there, were, were or had been there, but are now gone. Look at that. Verse 9, he says, do your best to come to me quickly. And then he says in verse 10, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and had gone to Thessalonica. I remember when, and again, I'm going back to seminary, 
When we got in the moving truck, we you know packed all our trash, moved it up north. Our bird nearly died in the heat going up the up the five. And then when we crossed the uh, 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 Oakland uh, Bay Bridge, we dang near froze as we came into um, into San Francisco. And this was in the middle of August. <sighs> Just I mean, from 105, and we had birds that we were carrying up there. Those, you know, you never saw their beak, you know, it was like trying to, I'm doing the best I can. I'm hot too, you know. Uh, I shouldn't, I mean, I'm going to bring a, a, a little laughter or a tear to my wife's eye, one or the other. But the morning we went to rent the U-Haul, they had gotten rid of all their hitches. So we couldn't hitch the, uh, hitch our car to the U-Haul and now my wife had to drive a stick and there were no heel holder stuff back then there was none of that stuff and we're in San Francisco there were no cell phones I couldn't talk to her there was none of this it was stop the U-Haul and go back and talk please you know whatever or I don't remember how we resolved it but somehow we got to where we wanted to go and after we got to where we wanted to go and where we knew we were going to be moving in I began to look up people that had left college before I did and I thought they were up there waiting for me to help me move in and as I began to knock on doors oh they're not there this one went into real estate that one's uh, working with horses and I'm looking okay honey it's just you and I you know we got to move in our stuff together and so we did but how disappointing it was for me to learn that those who I thought were going to go on ahead of me would be there to help me because other than that, I didn't know a soul except that I found out everybody that was there was my brother or my sister in Christ. That was a tremendous family that we had. But it was still a harsh reality that some will leave, like Demas. Demas left. One of the guys that we knew went uh, went to a seminary or that was going to be coming shortly uh, before us. Instead, he went to Florida. And we kind of lost track of him till one of our previous pastors in Riverside told us, did you see the National Enquirer? What? Oh, yeah, I thought I remember seeing some article, but I don't pay attention to that. But she bought, she bought it. And that was Andy DeBazier. And I think my sister said when at our graduation... Look at that guy's eyebrows. He's, you know, whatever, this and that. You know, he's different. Well, he, in the National Enquirer, was wearing a bikini and had uh, changed his lifestyle and his anatomy. Uh, and here we had studied for the ministry together. Um, those, those things happen. Those things happen. So big is life. And Andy DeBazier was his name. Look it up, National Enquirer. And he, um, I mean, his wife, Roberta, was uh, a beautiful soul, very quiet and reserved. But he said he only married her because she wore the same size dress. Um, there are people that do those kinds of things, but make sure it's not you that does that. 
I didn't I didn't realize I was going to be sharing all that. There's some other people that are mentioned. He says, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. But the other people that he mentions, like Crescens, he says, has gone to Galatia. Like Titus has gone to Dalmatia. He says, and only Luke is with me. But he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in ministry. And he also said that I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left in Carpus at Troy, or with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. This is what he wanted. We're going to break it down into three points, right? Everything has three points in a poem, except I forgot the poems. Now I lay me down to right now, mind. Okay. So Paul, when he says, you know, make every effort to come to me quickly. Because these were things that he needed. And the things that he needed and mentioned first were fellowship. He needed the brethren around him. He said, only Luke is with me. These others, I sent them out to ministry. And they've gone or they, uh, you know, were over here or this one was sick. And I left him in the hospital. But Demas has fled. He's left the gospel. Because he rather preferred the world rather than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul was trying to say is that I need people in my life. And I began to think over the last 33 years, when I first came here, I remember holding a church council meeting and so forth, finding out where everybody was and so forth. Okay, you're teaching Sunday school, you're teaching, you know, whatever. And, you know, you're, you're the treasurer, you're the secretary, you're the, you know, the deacon, you know. All of these different positions and so forth. We got over to the last uh, individual and was talking about, you know, where we stand with our books and, you know, all of this. You stick to preaching and I'll take care of the finances. Huh? Come again? So I said, well, yeah, when you, when you get time, let's figure it out. You know, we need to know where we stand and so forth. Like I said... You stick to preaching, and I'll take care of the finances. Good man, great teacher, poor bedside manner. Folks, you don't hear me say this every Sunday. Oh, bring your dollars, and the cross is a plus sign, and all that. And never will. And when people were begging, man, we need to put out, you know, advertisements in the community to come and help us or have yard sales. Uh Uh-uh. If God wants this work to uh, continue on, he'll provide that through the tithes and offerings of his people. We don't ask from the outside. If God wants the work continued, that's how it will be done. Never take any blood money. If we hold a car sale or bake sale or cookie sale or yard sale or whatever, that's going to be to help the kids, you know, go to Knott's Berry Farm or something. You know, do something special or extra or whatever. But not, not to keep the lights on in the house of God. Never. Well, I've done a lot of funerals over the years. A couple of marriages, maybe two. Some of you are here. 
But I remember sharing a, a two-part message several months back when I first mentioned to the body of Christ here in Hacienda Heights that I was transitioning, that I wouldn't be entering into the promised land, but I would like to know that the church continued on and did well. Well, one of the things that happened with the children of Israel, when God was making of them a nation, He allowed them to wander and wander and wander some more. And I began to wonder, is that like the 405 freeway? Is that like the 10 when I'm trying to come home? Is that, you know, are we, are we getting anywhere? And eventually, yeah, after 40 years, they were able to cross the other side. But what happened in the meantime? You saw pestilence. You saw people dying. You saw all of that. And so everybody that needed... But by the way, sometimes, and, and I'm using this um, just by way of illustration, God doesn't always do the, uh, work the same way that we work. He doesn't always do the things that we think He should and so forth. Remember, He says, My ways are, are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. And sometimes what it takes to grow a church is to bury a few bodies. Let that sink in just a little bit. That's actually true, folks. Because unless a germ of wheat, and this is an illustration the Lord Jesus gave, fall into the ground and die, it doesn't bring forth fruit. The same with the body of Christ. Well-intentioned people can have what they believe is your best interest at heart but maybe errant. Maybe it's self-serving. So he's telling Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly because guys like Demas were out there. They deserted me. Look at Alexander in verse 14. He was the metal maker that did a great deal of harm to me. And Paul says, what? I'm going to get vengeance? No, he said the Lord will repay him for what he's done. But you, guard yourself. Be careful yourself. Watch your message. Be careful about what you share. So Paul, when he's sharing with Timothy here, and I give this primarily to not just the church, but to Jeremy and the elders here, is to be quick to take care of the needs that the body has. And by the way, I wouldn't be leaving if I didn't believe that Brother Jeremy was more than capable had a good heart for service and had a good uh, handle on this. But he was calling for the fellowship of other believers. But he didn't neglect, he did not neglect the physical things. And sometimes we, you know, people who are always doing something, always working, always whatever, I'm always tired, I'm always whatever, you know, this and that. That's kind of like a uh, false self-righteousness. We need to take care of the flesh. We need to get enough sleep. And Paul reminded us of that need to take care of the physical needs. He said, bring my cloak. Winter is coming. I could, I could very much use it. He needed that poncho to cover his body and keep him warm. So we need the fellowship of the believers. We need to make sure that our physical needs are being met. 
And by the way, that means to make sure that we're taking care of the needs of others and their physical needs and make sure that no one is lacking in the body of Christ. We should all have what's, what's needed, the basic essentials. Now, if you think that uh, TiVo is, is a basic essential, then if you can afford it, great. If you can't, I'm sorry, I'm not paying for that for you. <laughs> I barely got it after the kids moved out. <laughs> we got a lot of things after the kids moved out. You know, after the babies were grown and we got our first microwave. After they got out, we got cable TV. Well, we had too many channels to begin with, so. Two, four, seven, nine, thirteen, eleven, whatever, you know, that's, that's more than enough, Chief. All right. But then Paul mentioned something that is essential for ministry. And he talked about the books. And I wonder if those were the Old Testament books. But he also talked about the parchments. You know that Paul wrote, wrote extensively. And he always had a, a message, a letter. In fact, Timothy that we now have is, were letters to Timothy to encourage him in the ministry. And Paul wanted to continue that. So please bring me the parchments. Give me the materials that I need to continue my ministry of reaching out even if I am in chains. Even if I'm not there, bring the things that I need so that I might be useful in ministry. And he didn't ask for a lot of things. He didn't ask for a, a big gulp or a slurpee or you know, uh, any of those types of things. If he would have asked for something, I'm sure it would have been an in-and-out burger with fries. <laughs> Bring me the parchments because he wanted to carry on his ministry. Okay. Now that we've covered most of that, and by the way, this is very, very hard. What do you share your last message? You know, I mean, there's only 66 books and I only have 66 minutes, but can I do just what, you know? Um, so we had to cut it back quite a bit. But I want to go back to Hebrews. Hebrews 13, looking at the first verse. So this is going to take about another hour and a half, all right? And I basically call these all of my keeps. Verse 13, uh, excuse me, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Paul says, keep on loving each other as brothers. So there's all these things. He says in verse 4, marriage should be honored by all. And look what God does uh, for us. God never leaves us. I think it was Matthew Henry and uh, as he researched the original Greek, he basically says that verse 5, the end of it there, never will I leave you, no, never will I forsake you, has five negatives in a row for emphasis. That shows how much God in and all of this will never, never, never Never, never leave us. Take courage in that. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So he says in verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. Verse um, 7, keep mindful of your leaders. Don't be carried away by strange doctrine. In other words, keep the faith and so forth. Keep your marriage. Keep obeying. Uh, keep on watching over yourselves. 
It says in verse 17, Obey your, your leaders and submit to their authority. Keep watch over them as men who have to give an account. You know, the Bible says that those who labor in the ministry are worthy of a double honor. But those that labor in the ministry are also doubly held accountable. So with great treasure or with great responsibility comes the privileges. But no less, no less come also the responsibility. A heavy, heavy weight is on those who bear on their shoulders the weight of delivering honestly, openly, the Word of God, living that in front of the congregation, living that in front of their Sunday school class, living that in front of their neighbors, and so forth. So keep on obeying. I want to share verse 20 again. May the God of peace, who through the blood of eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. That's been 33 years, folks. Amen.